Luke chapter 11. Uh, If you have a copy of God's Word, uh, Luke chapter 11, the verses will be on the screen. If you don't, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 4, and today we're talking about the second half of the Lord's Prayer or the Model Prayer. It's, it's called the Lord's Prayer because it came from Jesus. This is not something we could have come up with on our own. And it's also the model prayer because it's meant to be, as our pastor explained last week, it's meant to be riffed off of. It's meant to give us uh, some guidelines for how to pray. One of the surprising things, maybe, about the Bible is that the largest, largest book in the Bible is a big collection of prayers. Things to say to God, the book of Psalms. And even once you get out of the Psalms, you find prayers all over the place. And there may be something a little bit offensive about that because it's like God is telling us we don't know how to pray. And when when the disciples ask Jesus how they're supposed supposed to pray, he he doesn't tell them just, well, say what's ever on your heart or say what comes to mind or you'll learn, you'll figure it out, it'll just come naturally to you. He doesn't say that. And if you think that way about prayer, it's going to be very hard. Either you won't have anything to say, or you'll find yourself saying the same things all the time. But, but Jesus didn't tell the disciples, oh, it's easy. No. He said, when you pray, say these things. In other words, disciples, you don't know how to pray yet, so I'm going to help you. <laughs> Are you okay with God helping you? I hope you're okay with God helping you when it comes to this matter of how to talk to him. So let's read our text. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 4, but as we're continuing really the sermon from last week, I'm really going to be just preaching verses 3 and 4, okay? So we're going to read all four verses for context, but my sermon is coming from verses 3 and 4. Luke writes, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased... One of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so on earth. Give us day by day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Would you bow with me just for a short prayer? God, as we look to your word today, what we don't know, teach us. What we don't have, give us. And what we are not yet that you want us to become through your Son, make us. Help us to leave this place with a prayer life that's realigned to be a little more like the prayer life that Jesus wants us to have. I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. I think one of the reasons that this model prayer, this Lord's Prayer, has been so helpful for the entire history of the Christian church, is that it gets at the very heart of why we don't pray. 
Now, there could be many, many reasons that, that people don't pray. But, but I think this prayer gets it the three big ones, okay? One of them is, and I, I talked about it a little bit in the introduction, one of the reasons that we don't pray, one of the reasons, let's just be real, one of the reasons some of you did not pray this week, now you're Christians, you believe in the Trinity, you have a cross in your house, you show up to church, you tithe, but you didn't pray this week. And that can almost be frustrating and guilt-inducing for you because you, you think, it, man, it's, it's so basic. Why don't I do this? Why can't I get this nailed down? Well, there are some common reasons we don't pray. One of them is we think we don't need help. And I talked about that a little bit already. And so the model prayer is, is here to tell us you do need help. You don't know how to pray on your own, but that's okay. The good news is Jesus is here to help you. You, you need some ideas, you, you need some signposts, you need some structure, and Jesus offers it to you. We have confused, many Christians have confused spontaneity with spirituality. And the idea is if I need, if I need help, if I have to read something, if, if I have to pray something that's, that's written ahead of time, then I, I'm not, I must not be spiritual because I can't think of it on the cuff. That's, that's not biblical. That's not biblical. Paul told the Ephesians the first mark of them being filled with the Spirit as a church is that they would use psalms in their worship. That's taking written words and saying them back to God. Now you might think, well, that's not, that's not very spontaneous. Well, right. But according to Paul, that is spiritual. So if you come to this and you think, man, I want to pray, I want to be one of those people that, that prays every day, that is just always talking to God, but I don't want a pattern, I don't want a guide, I don't want something written down, well then these verses won't be any help to you. We've got to humble ourselves and admit that we need help praying. I, th- I think there's two other reasons we don't pray, and, and, and the, second, the second one is that we have a low view of God. We have a low view of God. And that's what the first half of the model prayer helps us with. And we talked about, if you were in a connection group this morning, we talked about how to think about God, how to orient ourselves toward God when we pray. And some Christians, their God is so small, he's just some sort of piece of paper that you can flop over. Their God is so small that they don't bother talking to him. There's just nothing there in their, their ideas of God. They're so off. It, it's, it's so messed up. It, you, and you have such a low view of him. You don't think of him as your father. You don't think of the worthiness of his name. You don't think about him as king. You don't think about his kingdom. And your view of God is so small, you don't bother talking to him because what's the point? Now, the Lord's Prayer helps us with that, doesn't it? Jesus says, when you pray, you, you pray personally. You pray submissively. You, you pray with reverence. There's a third reason we don't pray. And as you guess, that's what we're going to be talking about today. The third reason I think many Christians don't regularly pray in private is this. We don't regularly pray because we fail to realize how dependent we are on God. We don't realize how dependent we are on God. If you don't think you need anything from God, you're not going to be talking to him, right? And many of us, unfortunately, we are so comfortable 
And it's not even the time frame we live in because most, the, the majority of Christians living in most of the world where Christianity is growing are living in very, very, very difficult places. So it's not that it's 2022. Maybe it's just because we're comfortable, because of where we're at. I don't know if it's our culture or just one of the signature problems of our age as Christians. But if we don't realize just how dependent our lives are on God, we're not going to ask God to do stuff. And when it comes to that misnomer about prayer, that is precisely what the second half of the model prayer teaches us. So as we move from how to think about God to, in this second part, how to think about ourselves, I want to sum it up for you in one sentence, what these verses, what verses three and four teach us. Here it is in one sentence. Jesus is saying that we should ask for God's help in everything, Because we depend on God for everything. I want to be really simple as I start out. I want to give it uh, the the basic idea right here up front. If you see that you depend on God for some things, you will pray about some things. If If you get, if you can get it into your head that Jesus is telling you you depend on God about everything, then you will pray about everything. But if you think you depend on God for nothing, you know what you're going to pray about? Nothing. Nothing. So I'm hoping as we get into this text today that God will just take this self-sufficiency that we've buried in our hearts and bring it to the surface and just kill it. I mean, I want him to slay it because it's in my heart too. I hope you're with me. We should ask for God's help in everything because we depend on God for everything. Well, David, what do you mean by everything? Well, there's, there's three main headings here, three main uh, 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 hooks that we're going to hang our thoughts on. And here's the first one from verse number three. We pray for sustenance. We pray for sustenance. Verse three begins to give us day by day our daily bread. We should ask God for bread. Now, he's not limiting it to bread, right? I mean, um, it doesn't mean that the disciples and that all Christians throughout time should only ask God for bread, but this is symbolic of a lot of things, including bread, but not limited to bread. This, is the, this was the, the staple of their diet. It also means really all of their daily needs. Even in the Old Testament, when the, when the psalmist says, I've not seen uh, God's people forsaken or God's children begging for bread, uh, he doesn't mean that, that they, they're in poverty when it comes to everything else and all they have is bread. The idea is that God takes care of, that God meets their everyday basic needs, including bread. We even think about it this way today. We think about bread as the, the rudimentary needs to sustain life. Right? That's why we talk about like the breadwinner and, and we talk about who's the main breadwinner in the home. Now, by that we mean who makes the most money, right? And we don't mean that if there's a, a couple that one of the spouses gets paid in loaves of bread, right? Now, especially like if you have a gluten intolerance, that could be a really bad deal. You can't pay the house payment with a loaf of bread. But the idea of a breadwinner is that that person makes the money to, to, uh, to pay for uh, the basic needs that the family incurs. So when Jesus says that we are to ask God, God, give me my daily bread, or we could say, give me my today bread, literally, if we translate it literally, God, give me my today bread, the idea is that we ask God 
for the basic needs, material needs, to sustain our lives. Notice that when we ask God for this, we ask for it daily. There's a big implication here. Jesus intends for us to understand prayer as a daily thing. Now, if you're really into efficiency and you're organized and tidy, you may think, well, it would make more sense for me to come to God and say, God, today it's January 1st. Why don't you just meet all my needs for the year? Like, I want a pay raise in the fall. I want my retirement to stay good. I want inflation to go down. I want to have a good vacation with my family. I mean, you just go down the list. God, help me meet all my needs for the rest of the year. Wouldn't that be more efficient? Why would we talk to God about what we need every day? Well, if we come to God every day and ask for something, it keeps us in a state of humble dependence, right? Some of you don't like asking for stuff. You don't like asking for stuff. And, and I know some of you don't like asking for stuff because some people will, will give it away when they say something like this. Hey, I hate to ask you this, but could you? you know, sometimes people will ask me for something and they'll start off with, I'm hating uh, to do this. Why do they say that? Because we don't, most of us don't like to ask for stuff because it makes us feel dependent. I mean, it's kind of humiliating. You need somebody else to do something for you. Jesus says when it comes to just the basic everyday needs of life that we come to God and ask every day. You say, well, isn't that a little bit humbling? Right. That's the point. That's the point. Jesus doesn't say if you have a really big emergency, just pray for that. Now, we should pray for the big emergencies. You have a loved one in the hospital, man, you pray, right? Your best friend's in a car wreck, well, you pray, you have a bill come in, that's, and there's more zeros than the zeros in your bank account. Pray. Now, Jesus isn't saying that those things are off limits, but that's not, the, that's not the only things we're supposed to pray about, because we pray for God that he would just give us today's bread. Now, if you're living in the first century, a day's worth of meals is really not that expensive, just like today. It's not a big deal. But Jesus is saying, even when it comes to those small things, even when it comes to those small needs, that we talk to God about it. We talk to God about it. So do you pray this way? Do you pray this way? God, would you keep us fed today? God, would you keep me and my family clothed today? God, would you help me pay for any bills that are due just today? God, would you help me to get to work safely today? Do we pray that way? What happens if I don't pray for my needs? What happens if I don't pray for the small things? Well, one of two things can happen. You could uh, encounter a lot of loss. And when when you do that, if you're not regularly having a conversation with God about your needs, you will feel devastated and alone. On the other hand, and this is the case with most of us living in the 21st century United States, you may not have crushing loss tomorrow. I mean, you you may not go bankrupt tomorrow. You may not lose your house tomorrow. You may not lose your car tomorrow. You may not get everything repossessed tomorrow. You may not get your kids taken away from you tomorrow. But more than likely, you'll actually do just fine. And that will give you a false sense of security. It's like, hey, David, I got up today. I didn't pray. 
I didn't ask God to meet my daily needs. And look at me, I'm doing just fine. I've got money in the bank. I had good food. I'm going to go and eat a good lunch whenever you stop preaching. I'm doing fine. This means I don't need to pray. No, you're, you're missing the point. If you don't pray for your daily bread, if you don't pray each day and ask God to give you what you need just for that day, if you don't stay in that mode of of humble dependence, then loss will drive you to desperation. But just as bad, probably worse, for our culture, success will lead you to pride and a false sense of security where you get to the point where you don't realize the fact that everything you have is from God. And the reason you forget that is because you've not been asking for the things that he has kept giving you over and over and over again. You've not been asking for him, but he's giving them to you anyway. That can lead you to a a poor, weak, anemic place spiritually. We pray for sustenance. Why? Why do we pray for sustenance? Why do we pray that God would take care of us today? Why do we ask God that he would meet our today needs, even the small ones? We do that when we realize we cannot handle our material needs apart from the grace of God. Like, I'm not sufficient in and of myself, in my own resources, to make sure I breathe the rest of the day. I'm not sufficient to do that. I need God's help. Those are gifts of God. And when you start asking God for those things, you see them as gifts and not something that's owed you or just something that you have because you have it. So we pray for sustenance, not just the big things, but the little things, the daily things. Here's the second one. Not only should we pray for our daily needs, for those daily material needs to sustain us, but number two, we need to pray for forgiveness. Forgiveness, the beginning of verse four, forgive us our sins. It's interesting, at the end of verse four, uh, it says, uh, we, we are forgiving those who are indebted to us. So um, sin here is intercha- interchangeable with debt. It's interesting. That's one of the terms the Bible uses to describe the sins that we need forgiveness of. Have you thought about like this, that, that when you sin, you are indebting yourself to God? In other words, it, you, you know how debt works, right? Anybody go to college? You know how debt works. Um, and you're still paying that off, right? Here's what debt means. You incur an obligation and you, you don't have the resources to pay it right now. You were supposed to do something. You owe something. There's a balance that you owe, but you, you, can't, you can't pay it. And so you pay a little bit at a time with, with interest. And here's the idea. This, what does it mean for sin to be a debt? Well, we owe God something, but we don't have the resources to give it to him. You see, as sinners, we owe God a lot of things. We owe him as our creator, our ultimate allegiance. You should worship him and you should worship him only. You should put him above everything. That's something we owe him, our, our total allegiance. But as sinners, that's not something we can give to God. That's why you've given everything and anything else your allegiance this week. And it's worse if you don't know Christ yet because your heart is not even beginning to be transformed. You're just worshiping everything else but the God who made you and gives you life. So you owe God something, your allegiance, your love, your worship. But in our sin, we owe God these massive things that we can't give to him that he deserves. So our sin is like a debt. We are indebted to God in our sin. Now, thankfully, if you know Christ... 
Jesus has stepped in and paid your debt on the cross by living a perfect life, a life that you could have never lived, where he obeyed his father all the time in every way. And then if you trust in him, he gives you that righteousness before God. You're declared innocent and worthy and adopted and loved and forgiven. And your debt is canceled. So we experience that, uh, that judicial forgiveness of God uh, when we get saved, when we trust in Christ as our Savior and repent of our sins. We are no longer condemned under that debt. But because we still fall into sins, we need forgiveness from those. Our justification, our being made right with God is instantaneous. If you know Christ, it's happened. If you've come to faith, if you've been converted, it's happened. But as we know, you still struggle with daily sins. Our our behavioral sins, the things we keep doing. We need forgiveness from those things for God. And even though he forgives us once as judge, God forgives us many times as our father. So we confess our sins. And we ask for forgiveness. Do you pray this way, Christian? Do you pray this way? And we, we all, even if you're saved, we all deal with guilt. But, but believers deal with guilt in different ways. And we can respond to guilt in some really poor ways. Some Christians even excuse their guilt. They excuse their guilt. Well, I know I did this, but it's not really my fault. I was put into this situation by this person. Yes, I'm dealing with resentment, but it's not really a sin because they made me resentful. Yeah, I'm dealing with anger, but it's not really my sin, David, because this person makes me angry. You don't know what they did to me. We excuse our sin. We have that feeling of guilt and we try to deal with it by excusing it away. Some people run from their guilt and just deny it entirely. Some people minimize their guilt. Yeah, I did it. Yeah, I have this habit. But you know what? It's just who I am. Like, it's, it's my personality. I can't do anything about it. This is who I am. So, you know, if you're going to be my friend, uh, or if you're going to be in my family, you just got to get used to this. This is me. No, in Christ, that's not you. Not your sin. We have all these strategies of dealing with guilt. We excuse it, we run from it, we deny it, we minimize it. Jesus tells us, don't do any of those things. Rather, you confess it and ask forgiveness. The only satisfying way, Christian, that you'll ever be able to deal with the guilt that you have because of this ongoing residual sin in your life is to confess it to God and ask for his mercy. Why do we avoid that? Why do we avoid that? Do you think, is, is, is there part of us that thinks, man, if I, uh, if I just move on from this sin, I can forget I did it and the guilt will go away? I mean, does that ever work when you've tried it? doesn't work for me. Do, do we think that God doesn't want to hear us? Do we think, man, I don't want, this is, this is a terrible thing. This is an awful thing that I've done. This is an awful person that I've been. I don't want to talk to God about that. Do you think he doesn't already know? Why don't you talk to God about your sin? Do you think it's possible that he won't forgive you? No, no, no. I love how confident Jesus is in this verse with how he tells us to pray. 
He doesn't say, disciples, ask for forgiveness. He doesn't say, disciples, just tell my father that you're sorry. No, he doesn't do that. He says emphatically that when you come to my father, you can say, you can, you can use this imperative, God, like you're telling him, forgive me of my sin. That is so different than the just being told we can tell God that we're wrong or that we're sorry. We can actually claim forgiveness. Isn't that amazing? God doesn't want you to run away from these feelings of guilt. He doesn't want you to minimize your guilt, Christian. And if you're not a Christian yet, then this is even more true for you. God is the one person who can deal with your guilt in the right way. He is the one person that can forgive. Did did you know that you can't forgive yourself? I love when people say, "I, I forgave myself. Now, there are some times in life where we have to get over things. And that's important, especially for our well-being. But, but um, from the perspective of God, if you are someone who is created by God, then ultimately, in an ultimate way, you don't have the authority to forgive yourself. You don't have the authority to say, I feel cleansed, I feel holy, I feel okay, I feel forgiven. You can't do that, only God can. But the good news is, he wants to. Like, he, he actually wants to forgive you. And not because he is not fully acquainted with what you've done and how bad it is. He knows it more than you do, and he still wants to forgive you. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that? And as long as we fail to realize just how extended that offer of forgiveness is to us, we will try other things like forgiving ourselves. But it will not satisfy you. Your forgiveness to yourself doesn't mean nearly as much as your creator and judge saying, I forgive you. I forgive you. And how do we have that? How do we experience that? We come to God every day and we confess our sins. We just have to ask him. We just have to ask him. And we get this 100% guarantee that he forgives us. So when we feel angry, we don't just try to cover it up or get over it or move on or say it wasn't that bad. We say, God, I was angry. Forgive me. When we're dishonest, we tell God we're dishonest. We ask him to forgive us. If you're lusting, just tell God. Be honest about it. Don't try to be a good little boy or good little girl in front of God. He sees way past that. He already knows. He'll forgive you. He'll forgive you. Not only do we pray and ask God to forgive us of our sins, but there's a certain posture Jesus expects his followers to have as they're asking God to forgive them. Did you see it at the end of verse 4? Some of you were hoping I would skip it or that I forgot it was there. I didn't forget it's there. Jesus wonderfully, amazingly invites us to pray, forgive us. But Jesus is also our Lord who says this, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. I hope you like all of the Bible. Some of us may want to say, I want to be cleansed by God. But because of what's been done to me, because of how I've been hurt, I want that forgiveness from God. But I don't want God to ask me to forgive other people. I want God to do this forgiveness thing as long as he doesn't ask me to do it. But we cannot pick and choose. We cannot pick and choose. I hope I don't sound harsh when I say that. 
It's hard for me to hear too. God is not interested in our confessions to get our record clear with him if we are uninterested in him also clearing and cleansing and sanctifying our behavior. God, I want to be righteous. Forgive me. But God, I also want to be bitter and resentful. No, 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 no. God loves you way too much to just forgive your sins, but not change how then you treat the other people created in his image that he is interested in forgiving. He loves you way too much to stop there. No, he wants to change you, not just to be a forgiven person through your daily prayer, but to change you into the kind of person that can, that can give out and can show the radical kind of forgiveness that he's given you. I know this is very hard to hear, and I know you're thinking right now, you don't know about fill in the blank. I may know. For most things, I probably don't know. But this is not coming from me. It's coming from Jesus. Do you want to know how to pray? Do you want to know how to pray? You need to ask God to forgive you as you are forgiving. The recipients of God's forgiveness, Jesus says, the recipients of God's daily forgiveness, the recipients of God's daily cleansing, are the givers of forgiveness. It's the same group of people. You can't be in one group and not be in the other group. And some days we wish we could. But Jesus loves us way too much to forgive us and leave our behavior unchanged. And so unlike his behavior, he wants way, way more for you than that, Christian. Number three, here's the third way that we pray for ourselves. We need to pray for protection, but we need to pray for protection from temptation. Now, as Christians, we pray for protection, right? And here's what that usually looks like. Now, you're going to think I'm being critical or making fun of this. I'm not. But here's what it usually looks like. I'm traveling here. Pray for safe travels. Okay? That's usually, when we think of praying for protection, that's usually what we mean. Or if we have somebody in the armed forces that's going overseas, we pray for their protection for obvious reasons. Now, I'm not criticizing that, right? Uh, we're supposed to pray for our daily bread, our daily means. So, uh, so, so uh, traveling mercy, that's on the table. Like, that's something we can talk to God about. When, when Jesus says, however, we need to pray for protection, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about something that I'm afraid is often ignored in our lives of prayer. That is protection from temptation. Look at what he says at the end of verse 4. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation. Jesus taught his disciples how to pray about past sins. Now he turns toward the future. Here's how to pray about future sins. Future temptation. God, don't lead me into that. Keep me from that. Hold on a second. Why would we ask God to do something that he would never do? I mean, doesn't, doesn't James 1 tell us, David, that um, God does not tempt people with evil? We are tempted when we're pulled away by our lust. 
We're enticed by our desires, our hearts. That's a source of temptation. God's not going to tempt us to do something wrong. So why in the world would we ask us, why in the world would we ask God to not lead us into something he's promised he's never going to lead us into? Well, hold on a second. Does God promise to provide our needs? Yeah. Are we still commanded to ask him to take care of our needs? Yeah, we are. So here's the thing. Um, God is going, when it comes to our daily bread, God's going to give this to his people, but his people need to be asking him for it because they need to remember they can't do this on their own. And so it is with temptation. So it is with temptation. Some of us in this room have the second part of this prayer down. Like you pray for forgiveness. You regularly ask God, God, I messed up. I did wrong. Forgive me. But then here's what you do. And you've missed this part of the prayer. Here's what you do. You go the next day or the next week. You get yourself in the same situation with the same temptation. You sin the same exact way. And then you ask God to forgive you again. Now, hold on. God will forgive you again, okay? He will. But he has told us we need to be a little bit more strategic with that when it comes to dealing with our temptations. God not only tells us to confess and ask for forgiveness after the fact, he wants us to get a little bit ahead of this. He wants us to get ahead of it. We ask for sustenance, for our daily bread, because we understand we don't have the confidence in ourselves to meet all of our physical needs. We ask for forgiveness because, hopefully, we don't have confidence in ourselves to deal with our guilt. And here's the thing. Church, get this. We ask for protection from temptation if and when we realize that we don't have confidence in ourselves to say no to sin. Now, here's the thing. Whatever we don't pray about, whatever we're not praying about, is a, it's an indicator. It's like a little check engine sign that's telling you you're not trusting God to provide this. So if you go every day and you never ask God to meet your, 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 your daily needs, the, the check engine light is coming on and it's God's way of saying, you're not trusting me in this. If you sin and you're not regularly asking God's forgiveness, the light's coming on and it's saying you're trusting yourself to take care of your own guilt. You're not trusting God in this. And if you're not praying, God, keep me from this temptation. God, I know you've forgiven me of this, but God, help me not to put myself in that scenario where it's so easy for me to be tempted by this. God, I know when I don't get any sleep, I get angry. So God, help me to go to bed on time tonight. You say, that's a silly prayer. No, it's not. Not if your anger is a sin for which Jesus died. Not if praying that strategically will help you say no to a sin down the road. But here's the thing. To pray that, you've got to realize. Folks, you've got to realize you don't have enough power in yourself to say no to sin. Like, you can't do it. You can't do it. There's, just, there's too much flesh there. And if we know ourselves well enough, and if we know the goodness of, the God, of God well enough, we will be strategic in our prayer, not only, asking us to, uh, not only asking him to forgive us when we've been wrong, but asking him to keep us from the situations and the circumstances and the mindsets that lead us into these habitual sins. You have trouble when you're idle? 
Like when you're idle, maybe that tempts you to, to lust or to start gossiping or to just be resentful or to be bitter. I don't know what it does, but hey, if you have trouble when you're idle, why don't you get up tomorrow morning and ask God, God, give me a full schedule today. Help me to stay busy. You say, does God want to hear that? If it'll help you say no to sin, yes, God wants to hear that. It could be something as simple as that. Ask God to keep you from the temptations that eat you for lunch. So that you won't only be asking his forgiveness, but that you'll be able, with his help, to say no to sin. If you're more vulnerable to getting back into a lifestyle of drugs and addiction when you're around certain friends. They want to go out on Friday night. You know what that's going to lead to. God, if these people invite me out this weekend, help me to say no. Help me to say no. Well, will God forgive me if I get back into addiction? Yeah, but why don't you try to get ahead of that thing? God has better plans for you than just forgiving your sin. He has better plans for you that involve making you more like his son so you can say no to sin before it starts. Understand why you sin, where you sin, how you sin, and ask God to help you before it. It should be a regular part of our prayers that we're asking God for specific help in fighting specific temptations if we want specific victories. So here's the the main point of Luke 11, verses 3 and 4. We should ask for God's help in everything because we depend on God for everything. So how's prayer going? How's prayer going? Are you telling him what you need every day? Are you telling him what you have done every day? Are you telling him what you are afraid of doing that would disappoint him every day? Do you regularly talk to God about these things? Church, if we haven't, the light's coming on and it's saying We've forgotten this, this very central truth of growing up in Jesus. Jesus tells us, without me, you can do nothing. Without me, you can do nothing. How many of you believe that verse? Like, you know it's true. Without Jesus, I can do anything. If we believe it, we'll pray. We'll pray. When we're not praying, we can say we believe it, but we don't believe it. We don't believe it. Let's all stand. I'm, I'm just going to ask.